I remember sitting there and it's like not feeling enough. And, you know, you should have protected your, your daughter. You let her down. And I just could not break this thought. It was getting pretty dark. And I remember staring up at the rafter in the shed. And I don't think it would have done anything. But it was really dark and I just couldn't break it. And I was numb. And then the phone rings and I didn't want to take it. And I looked at the screen. It was my mate Benny. Answered the call. And he goes, Juddy, I love you, mate. And it's like circuit breaker. Hit the breaker, bang, gone. Cognitive fusion done. It was just a moment that was meant to happen. That was Michael Judd. I'm Rich Bolas, and this is The Dad Mindset Show. In 2018, Michael and his wife Trish went through an experience that every parent dreads, having a child diagnosed with cancer. In this episode, Michael describes how, having lost his daughter, he almost lost everything else as well. It's an extraordinary tale of transformation, and one with a silver lining. Because not only has this experience been a catalyst for starting an incredible well-being movement that's supporting many men to thrive and grow, but there's also a beautiful next chapter. One of the questions I forgot to ask Michael was what he learned from his daughter, so I thought I'd put this in at the end of the episode. I hope you take as much from this chat as I did. Michael Judd. Thanks ever so much for taking time to join me today. I really appreciate you know you sharing your story. So is it alright if we kick off talking about what happened in 2018? Yeah, Rich. Uh firstly I just want to say thank you for inviting us on the show and allowing me to share my story. It's actually liberating and actually it helps my journey through what I've been through and it help may help others, you know, get through their own adversity. So 2018, I work away and uh, the company was going through redundancies, so restructure. So I was umming and ahhing, I was seesawing, do I stay? New positions had come up or a mega project had started back in Melbourne. It went on for a fair while and in the end, my wife said, no, I want you to come home. You've worked away for probably five or so years, a mega project, it's time to come home. So I was lucky enough to get a job on the Westgate Tunnel Project in Melbourne big project. I was working back, I think, in the head office for a month before the project kicked off and everything was good, mate. Life was grand. I just paid off the house also, so financial stresses had gone. And uh, on this day, I was booked in for a confined space course in Melbourne. And I was, I was lucky enough to catch up with some workmates I'd worked all around Australia with. So I was having a fat old time. I remember the day we were laughing, met a couple of new people as well. And then at the end of the course, I was walking out with one of my workmates I'd worked away with before and I got this phone call and um, basically with that phone call, mate, it was my wife and she was distraught and she's gone, Estella's got cancer. She's got a brain tumour. She's in a hospital, sorry, in an ambulance with me now to the Royal Children's, get your ass across the other side of town to the Royal Children's. I'm like, what the hell? And to let you, the listeners know how we got there is just before I um, finished up working away, Estella was having headaches and then she would throw up in the afternoon and usually that was at school. So my wife, the beautiful lady she is, like she had multiple qualifications, medical background, she's a nurse, midwife, psych nurse, remedial massage therapist, like very skilled lady. So one doctor the, to the next, you know, trying to, you know, put our finger on what it was. And at the time, gastro had just gone around Torquay, bowing heads, and some of the kids were actually having gastro for like three, four, five days. 
It was really bad bout, and that's what we thought, obviously, at first. But because this went on so long, even the grandparents, they were thinking, is this brain cancer? Because there's Dr. Google, right? You know, and a lot of people do go to Dr. Google. But it kept going on. We'd had blood tests, no scans yet. But my wife took a little one to the Geelong Hospital one day, and she told the doctor, I'm not leaving until you give my daughter a brain scan. And the doctor said, no, there's going to be nothing here. She goes, no, well, this has been going on for over a month. You know, what is it? I'm not leaving. And again, she refused. My wife said, no, you don't understand. I am not leaving. So mum on a mission, right? And uh, she goes, right, for your own peace of mind, yeah, we'll get the scan done. So how many kids do you reckon, Rich, go in there with a sniffly nose, right? Yeah, loads. Yeah. Kids are our world. So um, yeah, Trish went in there and got the scan and that's how that all unfolded. I remember the moment that phone call and the world just come crashing down. And the guy I was with, he'd been through a lot of adversity. He was like a special forces army cop in South Africa. So he'd seen, I suppose, a lot of adversity and won't go in there. But yeah, he'd experienced cancer before and, and other disease and death. And he put his arm around me and is actually a guide right there with me. And I dropped him off at the train station, I think, on the way to Melbourne. And yeah, my whole world was just like a nightmare. I remember getting there and the ambulance coming in with Estella. And it was only like a day or two days later, she had major brain surgery. And what they'd found is like uh, the tumour itself is medulloblastoma. That's a cancer type. And it had a special gene as well, but it was the size of a golf ball. So in the back of the head, there's a cerebellum, and that's where the tumour-sized golf ball was at the back of the cerebellum. So, yeah, just before a day before her sixth birthday, she had major brain surge. And, um, yeah, just a big thank you to the, the council, family and friends, workmates. Everyone loved on us in the whole community. It was amazing. But, yeah, what was it, maybe a month or so later, Estella then had six weeks of radiation treatment, which is brutal. So if any listeners are listening... Yeah, empathise with you. It's really tough. And I know my little girl, she hated it. And then the community actually raised some money for us and workmates in Queensland, ex-workmates. And what we did is after the six weeks of radiation, we actually went to Canada on a like a bucket list trip. So it was amazing. Yeah, flew into Calgary, uh, went to Banff, drove the Icefields Parkway. It was just stunning, finished in Edmonton. And then we actually flew to... Where was it? LA. And we met sister-in-law and her little one and took the kids to Disneyland. And that was just off the back of the love of the community, right? Got home and then, yeah, Stella went into seven months of chemo, which is brutal. And it's a trial. And my wife always said to me, she was a realist, she's like, if this comes back and it's not effective, yeah, we've got a battle on our hands here. This is what the outcome looks like. And it wasn't good, right? And yeah, anyway, she was in remission. And sure enough, Rich, it comes back. So there's a curtain in the middle of the brain. And on the right side of the brain, they found a like a speck. And yeah, our worst nightmare, right? So it's moved. It's not localised in the back of the brain anymore. So they did a biopsy because they, they were hoping it was benign. It wasn't benign. Then we try a new trial of chemo. And again, in remission, you know, praying that, uh, yeah, she was going to beat this. And um, this went on for nearly, what was it, nearly two and a half years, mate. And... Um, Poor little thing, she lit up like a Christmas tree at the next scan. It was basically Christmas time. And um, when, when you say that, you mean the actual image? The yeah, scan. the skin, that's a good question. Yeah, so like down the spinal cord, it was everywhere, all around, you know, the brain. And um, 
yeah, we needed a Hail Mary, mate. Like, we needed a miracle at that stage. And my wife was like a mum on a mission. She'd be up all night not sleeping. The toll it took on her and the other kids. Yeah, unbelievable. But my wife actually did some studying and found this treatment where you can actually inject chemo direct to the brain. So instead of going to the rest of the vital organs. And she reached out. We actually had a new oncologist at that stage, and he was actually ex-Canadian. And he'd re- reached out to an alumni in Canada And he goes, I can't find some medical papers on this treatment, but yeah, do you know much about it and are you using it? And sure enough, the guy was using it. And we reckon that that treatment that my wife was actually able to identify and convince the hospital, we actually probably bought some time. And now I think at the time they all the oncologists told us to actually use that on little kids instead of smashing with radiation. Yeah, they um, they use this treatment. But because COVID hit at that stage, like only one of us could go in the hospital we couldn't go to America for treatment. Like, we left no stone unturned. And what happened in the end, mate, is um, I got a message from my old manager, which is my new manager again, and he's like, you don't know any good permit authorities, do you? <laughs> to, to go back to work away, FIFO in Queensland again. I'm like, why, how much, when? You know, the standard questions. Yeah. And then I let him know what was going on. I had a chat. He goes, Juddy, we'd love to have you back up here. I said, mate, this is what I've got going on. Yeah. Anyway, I knocked the job back, Rich. And um, my little girl, Estella, she's absolutely amazing, but she'd seen Dad like I was living off caffeine, driving up and down the freeway to Melbourne each day. Uh, She's seen, obviously, with my wife, like our marriage was struggling, you know, nearly two and a half years in the trenches. Um, Yeah, if it wasn't for the love of the community and family and friends, mate, could have all fallen apart very easily. But, yeah, Trish said, look, I can't do this much longer. Something's going to give and it's probably you're going to be dead on the freeway because I was starting to fall asleep, yeah. living off caffeine. And, yeah, I knocked the job back. Estella come to me and she's like, Dad, I want you to take your old job back. And I'm like, oh, sweetheart, Dad can't leave you. We've got this going on. She goes, no, you don't spend enough time with the other two girls. You're in hospital with me or you're working long hours at work. I want you to take your old job back. Now, this has probably been a month had gone by since I knocked it back, and so I rang them up, and I said, is that job there? And they said, look, we're filled back-to-back position. We are hoping you would call. <laughs> I just said, I need to hear that if this happens, and it's probably likely I need some time, and I can't guarantee anything. Yeah. And they said, you know that. I said, no, I just need to hear it, that reassurance. And they said, yeah, mate, we've got your back. We're on this journey with you. So I took the job back and I did two swings and then because of COVID lockdowns, like the silver lining through COVID for us, Rich, was that I got to spend the last three months of Estella's life working from home. And I am super grateful for that. And she passed at home. And in the last final hours, I suppose we all spent with her, um, is we flicked through family photos. So it was all the experiences and that's where the gold is in life. You know, whether it was going down here in Torquay on the front beach, getting a coffee, whether it was our trip to Canada, was our trip to Wye River, was it with the grandparents, was it family and friends. So we just flicked through photos, storytelling. That's what we did. And it was magic because apparently your hearing is the last thing to go of all your senses. So as a family, that was something we hold dearly to us. Um, Yeah. So, and then, mate... um, because of COVID, I spent the next, what was it, all the way from March, working through December from home, still past end of May. So that was the silver line with COVID. And again, the company I work for had amazing faith in me 
and support to get the job done from home, which I'm eternally grateful for because it allowed us to get us our oxygen mask on, right? You can't help anyone if you don't get your own oxygen mask on. Yeah. Um, I know we just talked before about dark hours. I don't know if you want to go there at all. but If you're open to it, yeah, that would yeah. be really helpful, I think. Yeah, so I remember like um, like the day of the funeral, like it all went pretty well. We had the casket painted yellow and the girls were heavily involved in that, which was really good. So they chose uh, yellow, which is Stella's favourite colour, and we put glitter all over it and all went honky-dory. Um, because of COVID, we could only have 50 at the wake. So thanks to Clats for opening up Ocean Grind. Uh, it was hard to get a venue and a celebration of her life, so thank you. And um, the day after, mate, I remember feeling like a caged lion, which is like something had been building inside me. And everyone was telling us, you know, you guys are so brave, you've done so well. And I blew up at my wife over something stupid. I can't even pinpoint it now. But I was in my darkest hours there. Like it was, it might have been a bill or something like that. And I was pacing up and down like a lion trapped in a cage. And um, I just lost it. I broke, started yelling and screaming. And yeah, I'm not proud of it. And then my wife told me I was a phony and all the things I'd said the day before. You know, you're a fraud. <laughs> and I actually needed to hear it. And um, I started bawling and went upstairs and curled up, you know, in the fetal position. And um, all the input that I'd done. So what I used to do is driving to Melbourne for work. I would listen to audiobooks and I used the, the ute that I had as a um, classroom, you know, so input as long as you action it, right? And um, yeah, it come to me and it's like, okay, you have a choice. It's just like something come to me, like epiphany, and it's like, if you take this road, so this is the, the dark road, you're about to lose everyone and everything in your life. And this is what it's going to look like. And it looked pretty dark, Rich. I didn't like it. And that's what I seen. I got a little a sneak peek of what that looked like. And then I got another look. It's like, well, this is what your life could look like. You can actually go downstairs, apologize to your wife and kids, tell them how much you love them and you're sorry, and you're going to make a go of this. And and that's what I did. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I I think it's something that we all fear as parents. Like it's the biggest fear. And to actually hear someone has gone through that process, I think is, I, I'm almost scared to ask about it because I, I, I don't want to stand too close, if you know what I mean, to that feeling. But what what sort of happened after that Yeah, for you, after you made that decision? That was really good. Look, I actually um, stopped drinking alcohol there for a few months and actually some guides come into my life, um, which I suppose I'll talk about in a minute, but um yeah, I tried to um, – how do kids um, spell love? And this is from one of my mentors and good friends, T-I-M-E. So I really made a point of being purposely spending time. So if Tara, the little one, said, oh, I want to jump on the trampoline, Dad, you know, I'm going to do that. Drop everything. Go for it. hundred percent. But then even one day just sitting in the shed, mate, I remember I just had this cognitive fusion. So that's like when you wrap your head like you get fixated on something. I remember sitting there and it's like not feeling enough. And, you know, you should have protected your, your daughter. You let her down. And I just could not break this thought. It was getting pretty dark. And I remember staring up at the rafter in the shed. And I don't think I would have done anything. But it was really dark. And I just couldn't break it. And I was numb. And then the phone rings. And I didn't want to take it. And I looked at the screen. It was my mate Benny. 
answered the call, and he goes, Juddy, I love you, mate. And it's like circuit breaker. Hit the breaker, bang, gone, cognitive fusion, done. Hmm. It was just a moment that was meant to happen. So I suppose anyone out there that they know that someone's going through something, you're through their journey, right? Just telling someone how much you love them and you're just there for them. You don't actually have to do anything. But yeah, hold, hold space, support them. Yeah, I think that's one of my main questions is what can what can we do if we know someone close or you know just anyone is going through this? What are the things that you would have found or did find most helpful as a parent looking after a child? And then how can the community help the most? Or did you find times it was really hard to accept that? I found it hard to accept the help because I'm the kind of person that's probably been self-reliant. I'm not overly talented, but can just grit my teeth together and push, 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 and I'll get through it. And yeah, like one of the blokes at work just called me like smiling pixie. But it was a bit of a facade to tell you the truth. And I was pushing away help. And, you know, contribution is one of the core needs, as Tony Robbins says. And I was denying people. But what a bit of a game-changing point. It was a couple of mentors. So my dad said to me, go, son, you can't do this alone. You won't get through it. And through COVID and after passing my daughter, a shared mate that we had, Bryce, come into my life and start riding together once a week. And he would ask questions, right, but he'd hold space for me. And, uh, yeah, he told me, he said, contribution's a core need and you're actually denying someone their right to actually help you and to meet their needs. I started letting people help me, but what I started to do is open up and share my story. And that actually helped me heaps, but it actually helped other people as well, which was amazing. But for anyone going through something, he's just telling people that you love them and you're there for them. That's huge. Because some people, you want to turn away from the world. I did. And then some people don't. They want people there all the time. Everyone's different. But once you, everyone needs to be seen and heard with openness. Yeah. And I suppose from a parent's point of view, how did you and Trish differ in your response to this? Yeah, that's a really good one. So for me, I like talking to people. I vibrate the highest frequency when I'm around people. So like at the moment, I'm frothing, I'm loving this. Um, but yeah, Trish, you probably found out some of the people in the life, I suppose, that who are really close. As, people, as you know, people have got their own journeys in life going on. And the hardest thing I think for my wife was, I suppose, when the dust started to settle, a lot of people obviously going back to what they do and there's no one there anymore, but the grief's still there. It doesn't leave you. Whereas for me, it was more looking for mentors and input and connection. Connection's a currency of life. Yeah. And that really helped me. But for me, Rich, I, was, I found myself a lot laying out under the stars and, and asking questions like, what is the purpose for this life? What is the meaning? Why the fuck did I have to go through this? And why am I going through this? And just through some of the books, like a book come around at the right time. We were just talking before actually about Viktor Frankl. And the book's Yes to Life in spite of everything. And there's just a line. I was asking this question, you know, what is the meaning? Why me? And, and this made sense to me. So it did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. We need to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead think of ourselves as those who were being questioned by life daily and hourly. Our answer must consist not 
in talk and meditation, but in right action and in right conduct. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. So life is asking me a question, not me asking life. So how am I going to respond to life's questions? Not react and lose it like I did after my daughter passed, but respond. Like Victor says, you know, we're getting asked questions constantly. Every hour, every day, there's new questions, new, new obstacles to navigate. But how are we going to respond in that right action? Yeah. And that's basically what I did is probably reassessed a lot of things in life. Like I'll be honest, prioritize work a lot of the time. Like we all get busy. Life's pulling at us. You know, we're talking about phones just before. Everything's grabbing our attention. But what's really important to us and, you know, my family's really important. So if little one wants to jump on the trampoline is, righto, make time and lock it in. Get it done. That right action. Yeah. Friends, family, life experiences. The big rocks. Big rocks in the jar, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Well, how did you actually respond then when you asked the question of the universe, you know, looking at the stars? What was your, what was your response? What was the next thing that landed for you? Yeah, for me what really landed is what action am I going to take and not just for myself but to serve others. Where did that come from though? So my family have a farm and they're about to sell the other side of Muldura and we've had oh, everywhere from backpackers to locals to we still have pensioners, you know, work for mum and dad and my parents and grandparents are all very giving people. They give you the shirt off their back and I think that's where it comes from. Like my grandfather at his funeral, which was just before, maybe a year before Estella passed, I remember asking dad not long before, it's like, dad, Pop doesn't seem to have much. Like he's a local mechanic. He's well retired, like in his 80s. Well, actually he lived in his 90s, still running a fruit block. So we had a couple of those and we'd run as a family. Grand passed years ago, but he gives everything away, like church, man of God, give away, you know, basically all his money, everything he had. And I probably didn't quite grasp it. At his funeral. So um, you just thought he doesn't have much money, but he'd actually just been he giving was, it away. <laughs> he was wealthy, <laughs> time wealthy, and yeah. where he spent his not, his time and purpose, but it was all about people. And some guys got up and spoke at his funeral. I didn't know who they were. And then I found out that these young blokes had gone through, he put them through university, <laughs> and they called him a giant. Charlie Judd's a giant, and these are the outcomes. And these now grown-up um, were thriving and helping others. And I was like, wow. And, and I suppose at that time as well, like I'd read a book, Rich, what's going to be written on your headstone? And there's like seven universal words pretty much. And, and it's not, you know, wealthy. It's not rock star, you know what I mean? Yeah. Movie star. They don't care about those things, but, you know, loving, caring, et cetera, et cetera. And Pillar of the community. Yeah. 100%. So because we've got a plot and Estella went down it and Trish and I are going down the same hole, We've got a big headstone that's got Estella's details on it, our light that forever shines bright. But I look at it, right, when I go out and visit and what's going to be written on there about me. What is going to be written on there about you? And that's the hero's journey that I'm working through now, mate. Um, if you could, off the top of your head, what would you like to have written on there? Yeah, I, I'd love, love, loving, loves people, energy. That's me. Are you kicking goals? Yeah. Are you kicking goals at the moment? Right? But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose just loving it all just comes back to operating out of your heart. And I think as people, we, 
instead of getting out, getting out of our head sometimes and operating out of our heart, out of our value sets. Yeah. And that's when I'm the best person, when it just comes from the heart, it comes natural, helping others, like serving others is where it's at. And my pop had it in spades. Yeah. Yeah. He was fulfilled. He had meaning and purpose. Take your eyes off yourself. You're having a bad day. Go help someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds simple, but so many of us don't do it. Yeah. And so take me back to where that came from when you were talking with your daughter, though, because she sort of set you a challenge, didn't she? Yeah. So in Stella's final hours, I made her a promise that dad was going to help people. And, you know, that went right up to her last breath, so I couldn't back out. And yeah, it took me a real a long time to actually get clear on what that was. And then through some of those rides that I went with, with Bryce out there to Bells and to the Ironbark Forest, and there was some of them late at night would stare at the stars. He knew I wanted to podcast because <laughs> that's how I first met him. I reached out, but um, he said, "Mate, you just sharing your story is amazing." He goes, "Why don't you share your story with others? It helps me as well to understand." So. Through that, like I remember him saying, just throw on a barbecue and see who turns up. It took a while because during COVID, mate, I was, had a whiteboard in the front room and I created a framework, <laughs> but I didn't want to show anyone. And I only showed a mate, I suppose, after I had a couple of beers. But what happened was I had a leadership doing Queensland last year and the CEO was there in the executive leadership team. And I told the CEO what I planned to do. I wanted to start a wellbeing group for men to survive and thrive, being healthy, wealthy, wise. And he goes, why haven't you started, Juddy? <laughs> and I go, oh, great got, question. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got this right or that, and, you know, paralysis by analysis. And he's like, just start. Things will work out. So, um, yeah, I remember I seen him the next morning at the coffee shop because I start early. So it was about 20 past five in the morning getting a coffee and yeah, he stops me again. I have a chat with him and he goes, he's walking off and he goes, he stopped and he turned. And he goes, Juddy, remember what I told you? Just start and keep me informed. And that's what happens. So I was like, oh, well, he said he'd get around us and help us out if we, you know, get some momentum and really make an impact, start helping people. So now I've promised to Stella and the CEO. <laughs> yeah. Let's get going. And so tell me about what came of that initial barbecue. Yeah, so basically I rolled out the framework that I've been working with. So the group Dig Wellbeing and what does Dig stand for? It's doing imperfect inner growth in groups. So D double I double G and well it's you know, dig wellbeing. So dig means to like or to understand something. So all it was is based on connection and storytelling. We just in my backyard had two fire pits, put on a barbecue, plenty of snags and actually four pines I went around to them and they gave us a couple of cases of their ultra-low beer, which you can buy off the shelves. So they couldn't have that blokes getting pissed in the backyard. That's not going to work. <laughs> so, but, yeah, actually it was really good and just had some different shares. And, uh, yeah, the group sort of built out from that. And then we had a – I shared my story it started with, and the next session we got a guest speaker in. That was my wife. She just finished her life and health coaching course, and she actually did some four-box breathing and some other breathing. And one of the guys that actually took that up sent him down a rabbit hole of personal growth, and he's actually about to run a marathon. <laughs> and this is this time last year. Wow. It started. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Where, um, what's four box breathing? Basically, you breathe in, hold for four. You breathe out for four, hold for four. 
Yeah. Oh, so it's, it's like just that. like, yeah, because you can, I've heard of like the box breathing where you, you trace your finger in a box and you breathe in and then hold. For four. And then breathe out. Hold for four. And, yeah, gotcha. Okay, yeah, cool. That's right. Yeah. And there was a couple of other techniques that were really good. Why is that useful though? What yeah, does it actually do? Brings you back to the present moment. So I remember through Stell's treatment where I was struggling and distracted at work, I was listening to Eckhart Tolle at the time. And he kept saying to bring you back to the present moment, just listen to your breath. And it was just, that's, that's how simple it is. That's how you can stay present. Because there's nothing else. All there is is the here and now, the present moment. Yeah. So that definitely worked and that landed. And then other guest speakers that we had come in, I think after that, who did we have? Um, we had Mitch because I went to that one. Yeah, yeah. So Mitch has come in. Mitch Barrow, amazing. He's a jet at what he does, movement specialist. Yeah. We had a do at Four Pines in the National Surf Museum. So we had ex-psychologist, author, mentor, high-performance coach Richie Bennett come in and spoke with big wave surfer Tony Ray. That was amazing. And then after that, we had Timmy Altman come in. He's a naturopath, breast specialist, Mickle therapy in the new year, we've had Claire Holmes. She's a holistic health practitioner. We've had ex-AFL footballer, local Cairo, Michael Sexton. We had Greg Bellingham come in, giving his framework, The Way of the Heart. It's like yeah. six questions. That was amazing. What did you um, take away from that? Well, there's all, lots of energies that there are, but most of the energies are temporary. So ego energy is temporary. Your physical energy is temporary. So is your intellectual energies temporary. And he went around the energies, but the heart energy was the only one that's not temporary. Yeah. A- amazing. And to, you know, you're the best person when you operate out of your heart. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think you're doing a great job of that, Juddy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And mm-hmm. yeah, actually, um, this Sunday night we have Nikki Buckley and Nikki's Ovarian Cancer Australia ambassador. And yeah. she's actually going to come in with her father, Noel. So They're we, both legends, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't met Noel yet, but I have seen Nikki speak at a lot of local events and amazing. So that's this Sunday night at Ocean Grind starting at 6pm. So all males over 18, welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose just a little bit about DIG, because people ask what it is all the time. It's not church, it's not AA, and it's not Fire Club, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> You've been to one. There's no secret handshakes or robes. So. <laughs> Highly disappointed. Yes. <laughs> But what's the vision for it is for all men to survive and thrive, being healthy, wealthy, wise. And the mission is pretty easy. It's doing imperfect inner growth in groups through connection and storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. And why storytelling, Rich? What do you think storytelling? I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> well, I think that's where it's all at. That's how we, that's how we connect. It's how we, we learn. It's how we remember. And it, I suppose the most important stories are the ones we tell ourselves. 100%, mate. You've heard of the hero's journey we were talking about. <laughs> Big fans of Joseph Campbell's yeah, work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, a book that I uh, love that was given to to me from a friend was by Donald Miller, Building a Story Brand. And I love this section. I've actually got a couple of notes here, yeah. but it's about is a character who wants something encounters a problem before they can get it. At the peak of their despair, a guide steps into their lives, gives them a plan and calls them to action. That action helps them avoid failure and ends in a su- success. So basically, that's uh, the seven steps. I think Joseph Campbell had, was it 17? Seven. Yeah, yeah, but there's like seven main sort of story types, aren't there? Archetypes. 
There are. So it works like this. You know, there's a character. So let's use Star Wars as yeah. an example. So the hero is Luke we're, Skywalker. We were watching, we've been watching, <laughs> binging that this week. <laughs> Thanks, Disney+. Plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the character, so let's say the hero, Luke Skywalker, has a problem. So they get destabilized, right? And usually there's three problems. There's the external problem. So must defeat the Empire. He has an internal one. You know, is he a Jedi? Is he enough? Can he get it done? You know, and then there's a philosophical problem, good versus evil. And then who should appear? They meet a guide. Yeah. So the guide, who was the guide? Do you remember, Rich? Yep. Uh, that would definitely be Obi-Wan or, or yeah. Yoda. Yeah, or, Obi-Wan. Yeah, yeah. And they've lived as a Jedi. You know, they've been part. They've already been there, done that, right? And what do they do? They give them a plan. The guide gives them a plan. So what was Luke's trust the force from yeah. Obi-Wan? And training. Yeah. Yeah. And then what do they do? They call them, for, call them to action. So go defeat the Empire. And then that helps them avoid failure. So the rebellion is crushed. And what happens then? Ends its success. The rebellion, the rebellion avoids defeat. And they usually go home to their planet or... Yeah, be celebrated yeah. in the village on, upon return. Yeah, and, and at Dig, there's so many... Well, we're all heroes in our own story, actors and authors in our own story, right? Hmm. And you act out the story in your head. But there's so many mentors, and we spoke about it before. If I want to go podcasting and reach out to you or Bryce or Owie... There's plenty of people, a team in the group, or if I want to, re- you know, find out about real estate, there's real estate agents in the group, or we have, there's policemen, there's there's tradesmen, there's chippies, there's sparkies. Yeah. The tribe of mentors, Tim Ferriss. It's totally the way, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to think that you can just Google stuff these days, but there's nothing better than just sitting down with someone and then being side by side with you to talk you through exactly what they've experienced and like the pitfalls, things to avoid, things to approach. And keep you on target as well. Keep you accountable, I think, which is critical. And that seems to be what the group's really doing as well. Yeah, so lived experience, lessons learned. And that's really important to share. History doesn't repeat, it rhymes. So, <laughs> yeah, so true. Yeah. yeah, so if you can help someone else out. And, you know, to them, um, you know, for us, you know, we lost a child. But the biggest thing you've ever experienced is the biggest thing you've ever experienced. Yeah. And that's how it works. But just to, just giving them a plan and then it's up to the person, obviously, to go to do the work. Because we're not a trauma group by any means. We're a growth group. And it's all based on connection and storytelling. And it's, you it's, it's forward-facing rather than backward-facing, isn't it? A hundred percent. Well, if we go back in time, back, you know, at primal needs, what, was, what did that look like in the village? Yeah, well, basically, you want to fit in, but you also want to stand out. You've got that sort of tension. I think as well, but you're surrounded by people you love that, you know, have got you back. Yeah. And I think before we start the podcast, weren't we talking about um, megaliths and the pyramids and (laughs) the stories? Where are the stories? They're on the walls. Yeah. Yeah. It's so simple, but it's effective. Yeah. I think so. I mean, what we discussed as well was just the different lenses through which we can view a situation or how we want to show up in the world and, and, just that ability to reframe can sometimes be the difference between life and death. It's that important to know how to do that. I mean, how have you sort of reframed how you show up in the world now? Yeah, someone, I heard this line a while ago, the windscreen's bigger than the rear vision mirror for a reason. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's all right to uh, to look back and reflect and correct, but you've got to take the action. That's part of the correct, right? Yeah. And like everything, I was just having an off day the other day and so I went and had a sauna, and then between the sauna sets at night, I'd go and lay on the trampoline and looking at the stars, the Milky Way, the Southern Cross was amazing. 
And I remember seeing the clouds through one of the sessions and then, like everything, it'll pass. And that's just, you know, for a season, how long that season is, we don't know. Yeah. But your life's asking you another question. So when I'm under the pump now, it's like, no, this too shall pass. But yeah, if I am a bit lost is to reach out to someone for a bit of guidance. And it inadvertently helps them as well. Because like you say, contribution is a big part of how we thrive as well. So if we can actually help someone, that's that's both people winning. 100%. That's what it's all about is serving others. Mm. If you're having a bad day, go help someone. You'll feel better for it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Now, I've got to, I've got to ask, basically with, with Dig, you've started this group. It's growing really quickly. Mm-hmm. It's doing amazing things. Like the, the stories that are coming back from the guys are transformative. When I was in the group, I was really, I was blown away by how vulnerable everyone was because it's a bunch of guys in a room that never happens. Like most of the conversations that you have around a barbecue revolve around the weather or the footy. Maybe you might dip into some problem with the government or something like that. Yeah. To actually get to where the guys were when Mitch was taking us through the breath work, that is standout. That just doesn't happen anywhere. Yeah, and it's co-created, right? It's not from me. Yeah. It, it started off with a story, but it's greater than me, and there's a group of leaders, right, that um, work behind the scenes and get stuff done. But uh, as we say, is loose lips sink ships. We have a framework, and that's supportive. I'm not going to say safe space, and I used to say safe, but nothing's safe, right? You might be able to mitigate the risk, but it's a supportive space. Yeah. And we have that in our framework. But one of the big ones, and one of the boys said to me that resonates, is we all have responsibility for our acts and emissions. Like you said before, show up. So what we do or don't do, what's said and not said, that's personal responsibility. Yeah. Personal agency, as Donald Miller would say. And I love the way that it's it's coming at this not just about mental health, it's about everything health. That's great. And, and I think it, covering off some of the work that the guys are doing, like there's cold water plunges, the, obviously the movement, breath work, it, it's a holistic approach to well-being. And it's so good to see so many guys really getting amongst it. Yeah, mental, emotional, physical, financial, environmental, you name it. Like it, you have a look online and there's plenty of different steps to wellbeing, whatever will you look at. But that's why the guest speakers come in, like to add something different. That's part of growing. You know, you're strong in podcasting. I might reach out to Rich and can you give me some guidance on this? Yeah. I know people have done it with Tim with the breath work, Claire with nutrition. She's amazing. There's a tribe of mentors there and everyone at the group, everyone's got a story and something to offer. And it's like me, I'm dyslexic, but I've still got a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. And it's identifying it (laughs) and and then taking action on it. Yeah. And so what does success look like? Like what's what's your vision for where this all goes? 96-year-old Juddy sat on the porch looking back. What would he say to Juddy sat in front of me today? Yeah. Have I made a difference? Okay. Did I help someone in their story? That's helping others it's all about serving others did i make a difference well mate i can definitely put my hand on heart and say you are making a difference so you've got something you want to share haven't you yeah i got some exciting news so um 
we had a couple of swings at uh, IVF and we've tried for a while and because I'm back doing FIFO makes it really hard to conceive a child if you're, you're home at wait, the... Wait, wait, what's FIFO first? Because some people... In. Ah, yeah, fly in, fly out. So I, I work away, two weeks away and then two weeks at home, which really works for our lifestyle design. But not when you're trying to... Conceive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not good for sexy time when you need to. So, um, But yeah, we tried the IVF route and for anyone listening... You'd probably know just as well as me, if not better, that it's it's a hard slog or can be. So we had a couple of rounds and no success, but uh, lucky enough over Christmas, was, took an extra week off, Rich, and all relaxed. And um, yeah, lucky enough, we got a little boy on the way. So Trisha's, uh, I think, 19 weeks today. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. That, that's so good. No, thank you. And um, Estella, that's passed, she always wanted a little brother. And my... Daughter won't mind me sharing, or she might, but she had a lucid dream not long ago, and Stella come to her and said, I'm going to come back as a little boy. Oh, wow. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, right? Wow. Yeah, kids' intuition, mum's intuition. Yeah, as an experience. That experience was obviously meant for Lani. But, uh, yeah, we're super excited. Um, we did a gender reveal not long ago, and, uh, yeah, let the canisters off, and there's like a blue smoke come out with blue confetti and it was yeah blew us away it was crazy the girls wanted another little girl but <laughs> i was super stoked but as long as mub and bubs are healthy that's all that matters yeah i mean you touched on there lucid dreaming you've had some other experiences haven't you yeah that are similar to that yeah i have mate i was lucky enough when i was trying to dig up some sponsorship for dig well-being i went into surf coast wellness center and they have salt floats in there and I'd heard off a bloke when I was working in Melbourne, sorry, this bloke was having a really rough time in life. And he said the one thing that saved him was salt floats, like a real sensual experience. So what it is, is like this big egg, this tank, and they, they salt it to the eyeballs. And uh, what you do is you're meant to put earplugs in and you hop in the tub, pull the um, bonnet, I suppose, shut, and you get this nice like sea music and you just float. Yeah. Amazing. So what happened with me is when I went in there, Chrissy was there and she framed it up and she goes, Michael, you're going to have an amazing experience. And it was so, so good. good frame it yeah, up. yeah. Set for, for a success. Yeah. So I went in there, mate. I was so excited. Had a great chat, primed up. I um, was a bit excited, actually. I, I jumped in there, Rich, pulled the top, chamoed the – you got, you have to like get a, like a windscreen wiper like you get at the servos and wipe the salt <laughs> off the top. I was that excited. I didn't wipe it enough, so I got, bang, salt in the eyes, and then I forgot to put the earplugs in, so salt in the ears. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, great, off to a rip and start here. Yeah. So anyway, jumped out, earplugs in, wiped my face down because I had sore eyes, jumped back in, and, uh, yeah, within five minutes, it's crazy. I started, like, having all these weird, like, it was almost lucid colours, like psychedelic experience, and all these colours started swirling around. And then all of a sudden, who should appear? My angel Estella. And she was white, she's so beautiful. And she's grabbed my hand and I could pitch myself. So I was looking at myself like the third person. There I was as a five-year-old boy. She's pulled my hand and off into space we go. Far this out. is crazy. Anyway, what was she shoots stars. So do you remember Street Fighter, yeah. the video game? It's like Ken and Ryu. He's like a dookin. <laughs> that was the action, right? I've got the hands going. Yeah. And uh, yeah, shooting stars at me. It's like thousands and thousands of stars are firing at me. Crazy. So then I do, did it back, right? And just two kids, curious minds, just play, planets, right? Playing around, the stars, a couple of planets, like unbelievable. And then she grabs my hand again 
And then she takes me back down to earth. And there must have been 30 to 40 people and people I've had conflict before in life. They're all lined up. People you'd had conflict with. Yeah, whether it was an argument or something at work or whatever that looked like. And then I thanked every one of them. So they were in a row and they kept coming forward. And I thanked them for the adversity and the experience and making me stronger. Crazy, right? Then she grabs my hand and I had the awareness at the time. I actually was tearing up. But, yeah, she grabs my hand, pulls me back into space and we started playing again. And then all of a sudden is... This voice comes, it was a powerful voice, it was like um, God, like Eckhart Tolle, right? That same sort of voice. It's like, your time is up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I was like, no. <laughs> Can I put another token in? Yeah. Oh, but it was so good, and I felt great for days. Yeah, wow. Like, yeah. I've heard that people can see weird colors and stars, but never anything is that. But I had the awareness at the time like observing myself like the third person. So I felt the tears. Yeah. But it's still observed myself. And that's one of the things I've got. If you are struggling with anything, Anthony DeMello, this book come around at the right time. It's called Awareness. Mm. And Anthony was an Indian Jesuit priest, a psychotherapist. Just some of the examples in there. It's actually, I listened to it on Audible and it's quite funny and the guy's departed now. But there's some key takeaways in there so I can observe myself as the third person. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to sit in tears now because I know they're going to pass. And we talked about Tara Brock earlier in the talk or before the talk. And she talks about it as like pulling out a chair for that emotional feeling. Yeah. And making it welcome. So I used to be scared of death. And I'm not anymore. That's probably one of my lessons that we're all energy, right? No matter what you believe in. Once the body's there, the body's just a it's a shell. It's a vehicle. But... um yeah, for me now, he's been able to sit in something, in that emotional feeling at the time, pull out a chair and just say, no, you're welcome. You can sit. That's fine. Yeah. And then it passes because if you push a ball underwater, Rich, and hold it, suppress that feeling, what happens? You get knackered. Yeah. Tied out. You can only hold it for so long, right? <laughs> yeah. And what happens when you let it go? Hits you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and that's all the, the input, um, I suppose that's paying dividends. I'm still learning. There's no finish line to growth. Yeah, that's the thing that's so good about it. And I mean, you talk about the mobile classroom and, and you're you, you driving up and down the freeway listening to audiobooks. but what, what are some of the books that are speaking to you right now? Like what, what have been some of your favorites in the last while? Yeah. Oh, so for me, it was Awareness, Anthony DeMello, uh, Victor Frankl, so Man's Search for Meaning yeah. and Yes to Life. Um, Joseph Campbell, um, he's got this six-part uh, documentary with Bill Moyes. It's from 1988. Absolutely amazing. It's called The Power of Myth. So if you get the chance, absolutely amazing. And he actually talks about all the stories, religions or whatnot, but it's they're all very similar. It's all about going within. Mm. You know, the dra- all the Chinese, I think they talk about it, the dragon's within you. The dragon you've got to slay is within you. Yeah. The fear is in you. It's about doing the inner work. It's like it's like when you leave home early on and you, you go off to find yourself and you think you've got to travel the world or whatever to do that. And really, it's it's inside all along. Like you can do the work where you are. You don't have to go anywhere, but it's just, it's just really helpful to take yourself out of that current situation to put yourself in a different environment to actually be able to open your mind, I guess. Yeah, and like Joseph Campbell talks about, you know, eternity is now. Don't wait. It's now because time's a man-made construct. 
how we measure time anyway. Yeah, there's nothing but the present, only now. So, yeah, Joseph Campbell, worth having a listen to. Uh, Tara Brock, Radical Acceptance. That was really good. That helped me out yeah. with a couple of uh, bits w- and pieces. Were there any takeaways in particular from Radical Acceptance? That was just sitting um, in my own thoughts and just making them welcome, pull up a chair. Almost like separate yourself from them. Observe yourself as a yeah. third person. It was the same as Awareness by Anthony DeMello. Yeah. Um, Eckhart Tolle again. Uh, a New Earth is one that was a great book. There's so many books, um, uh, podcasts that I've been over and my wife. Like, we have great conversations. I'm doing uh, Becoming Supernatural at the moment by um, Joe Dispenza. Joe Dispenza, yeah. yeah. But I'm finding it really heavy and deep and there's a lot, lot to wrap my head around, right? Hmm. Um, but there's so much good stuff out there. And a lot of the authors have um, departed, but you know, what resonates with me mightn't resonate with you. It's like a dig. And time as well. Like it just, it might resonate with you, but not right now. It might be in five years time. It, you know, that's what I've found. Like, because I was listening to Mansets from Ian again last night before yeah. we chatted. I was like, far out. I completely missed that the first time round. Yeah. And like the takeaway in that, I think we had some quotes on that as well. But yeah, like everything can be taken from a man. But one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. I love the, this one. Between stimulus and response lies a space. In that space lie our freedom and power to choose a response. In our response lies our growth and our happiness. Yeah, and that's what dig well-being is all about, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. But again, if that mentor or whatever that message is, it doesn't resonate with you, like chew the meat, spit out the bones. Yeah. Yeah, try it on. No, don't like it. Cool. And, and that's guest speakers. It's people in life. Yeah. 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 Uh, we're living in such a good time to be able to access so much good thinking. Whereas in the old days, we'd have to order a book to get delivered to the library. Yeah, you, you know? can have it now. Instant gratification, <laughs> can't you? <laughs> but, but there's a caveat to that, isn't there? You've got to be mindful about what you're consuming because it's so easy to just consume for the sake of consuming. But you've actually yeah. got to be quite sort of deliberate and like, what am, I, what am I chasing? What am I curious about? And diving in on that rather than sort of just gorging on yeah. stuff that isn't feeding you. It's 100%. like junk food for the mind. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Who do I want to become? Where do I want to go? Yeah, so important. Yeah, we are blessed, but I love the, you know, working for something because the journey's not getting to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, it's doing the work, going up the mountain. That's well, where the gold is. And I love that idea of it's it's the process. Like if you can fall in love with the process, you win every second. You're You're winning the whole time. If you're concentrating just on the summit – you know, that's, that's a long way off and you might never reach it. Whereas yeah. like Dr. Jason Frischman, we had him on the show and he, he talks about, you know, you can be halfway up a mountain and you're way off the top and you're like, oh, I'm never going to get there. But if you sit down and turn around and look at the view behind you, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be way more beautiful than when you set out. And I think that's what we tend not to do these days. We tend not to smell the roses, tend yeah. not to sit down and appreciate. And it's almost like... I, I thought I came across this thought the other day, and it's an old, old way of looking at it. But everything we have in our lives, at one time we didn't have and we desired, and we were like just looking for. Oh, I'd love to live in talk. I'd love to have a house. I'd love to have that job. Be married. Have a family. All these things are things that we once desired so dearly, and it's so easy to forget how how much we wanted them now that we have them. 
yeah. and just it's almost like the hedonic treadmill just amps up all the time and it's really good to just take a breath and just be grateful for what we do have and it's such a good practice i've been trying to do regularly yeah naval ravikant is awesome he's got a saying desires a contract you make with yourself you won't be happy until you get what you want so true and then it starts again <laughs> exactly <laughs> you make another contract and off you go again oh man when will we be satisfied <laughs> Never. yeah but like this morning walking on the beach got a bit of salt therapy watching the sun get up or i see a rainbow now or even when the the mother nature's doing its thing you know the surf's messy and the wind and it could be hailing and i just look at it in all its beauty yeah without judgment and that's how you got to look at yourself you know I love that German phrase of no such thing as bad weather, just inappropriate choice of clothing. Yeah. <laughs> Depends what lens you're looking through too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I love getting uh, people's perspective and look through another lens. Yeah. And see how they view the world. Hmm. Yeah. There's multiple ways that you can skin a cat. What were some of the things you learned from your daughter? What did Estella teach you? There's a couple of lessons, Rich. I remember it was getting close to the end of her cancer treatment and, um, she tripped over on her way to the toilet into our ensuite and um, mum come running after her and she's crying and mum's dropped to the floor and is crying and curled up. And Estella went and sat on mum's knee and she goes, it's all right, mama, everything's going to be all right. She was like an old soul, Rich. But some gold here is, I call this Estella's secret. Hopefully it's a bit of inspiration for your weekend or week ahead. But uh, while in remission, my daughter Estella, then seven years old, she competed in a sports aerobics competition in Melbourne. Our little angel, she had a peg and port inserted with barely any hair. Estella danced with a bigger smile on stage as she competed. As it happened, she won a medal. But it didn't matter, Rich, that it was a follow-the-leader dance comp as it was her time to shine. After the comp had finished, I carried Estella to the car telling her how proud I was. Estella said to me, Dad... I knew I was going to get a medal, as I know the secret. I said to Stel, we're like, Stel, what's the secret? Stel whispered in my ear, Dad, I believed I was going to get a medal and I got one. The secret is to believe. Dad, you just need to believe. So here's to believing everyone. Thank you. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Juddy. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you found that as insightful and inspiring as I did. If you'd like to find out more about Dig, I'll put a link in the show notes at thedadmindset.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify and leave a review or a comment. Sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is, of course, awesome and really appreciated. For podcast updates, please subscribe to the newsletter, which you can find along with all the show notes on thedadmindset.com. Well, that's pretty much it from me for now. I hope you have a meaningful week, and as always, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. (laughs) 